What's up, fam? Welcome to another episode. I don't actually know what episode number this is, but it's going to be a good episode. And today, this episode, we're actually at a wing stop. Wing stop in Highland, California on Greenspot. You guys got to come to this place. We also have a couple of places where this wing stop, the owner has a store in Pomona on 756 East Arrow Highway in Highland where we're at, uh, 27993 Greenspot Road and in Redlands at 350 West Stewart Avenue. We thank the people at Wingstop for allowing us to do our podcast in this wonderful establishment. Come eat. We're eating. We're going to be eating. Got my sweet tea going on over here. And I got my special guest, April Ray, where we're going to talk about real talk, a woman's perspective. It's a beautiful woman in front of me as, as well. Hopefully that's not offending you, but um, we're going to come back after our little intro, and we're going to talk about our topic. So listen up. Different points of view and highs and lows, a new perspective everywhere you go, open up your mind. Drown out the noise and see if this connected. And see if this connected. Well, there we go. Welcome back, fam, to This Connected. I'm Catholic.dad or Arnell. People call me Catholic.dad. And as usual, our podcast is about different situations, point of views, about faith, life, and whatever comes along the way. As we always say, it's not necessarily here to have this podcast so that we agree, but definitely to be listened to. This, of course, is, again, perspective, my perspective, and the perspective of my guest. So we want to welcome our guest for this episode of Real Talk from a woman's perspective. I want to introduce to you guys a friend of mine who I met. We're going to talk a little bit. Just honest talk. Again, this is just conversation to Miss April Ray. Welcome to the show, April. Well, hey, Arnell. I just wanted to say, or Catholic.dad. Catholic.dad. I just wanted to say uh, thank you for having me. Um, it's a fun time. Who doesn't love wings? That's right. Wings and conversation? Wings and conversation. If you're ever going to have anything as conversation, got to have it over wings. You know, Maria loves Wingstop. And um, she should have been here, but we had Wingstop on Thursday for dinner. Well, there you go. You know, got to have some of that Wingstop, some of that chicken wings. And, you know, I got to say, it's my, you know, when, when we ordered, you know, it's like real wings and the bones of the <laughs> other kind. And you, you, you chastise me. You got to eat with bones. And I, I usually do. I got to confess. I usually eat with bones. But we're doing a podcast. I didn't want to get all the equipment all greasy with, with all this stuff. So I did not get the chicken wings with the bones. So. Says the vegetarian. Says the vegetarian. You know, it's like <laughs> I almost did not have to have this podcast because you told me. It's like, oh, no, I don't eat meat, honey. And I'm like... But oh, yeah. Wingstar does have some banging voodoo fries. Yeah, so she's going to have the voodoo fries, and she's going to have the um, the veggies Yes. with extra ranch dressing. And I'm representing that Wingstop for my hubby who loves wings, and he's the one that schooled me on those bones. Mm, and we, we, do share, we do share a love for wings, <laughs> and we also do share a love 
for Mr. Kenny Ray. I got to get some more Kenny Ray, and I'm so sad that he's not here. So we're going to have to have that second episode where yes. it's Kenny Ray with you. Yes, and Kenny Ray is definitely sorry that he couldn't make it. He did have to work. You know, you got to bring that bread home. Yeah, that's right. Come so on. tell us, how did we meet? You know, uh, Hmm, so we met at... Patton State Hospital. That's right. You weren't a patient. <laughs> you sure? <laughs> <laughs> no, working there at Patton. Um, I worked in the mail room. Kenny worked on uh, grounds. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time you were EAP. I, no, I was no. actually the emergency management coordinator. Oh, I planned right. the disasters. That's and right. it wasn't it wasn't your marriage that was a disaster. It was just I was planning for right. natural disasters. <laughs> Oh, the food is here. You know what? We got to introduce someone. Jolly, Jolly, Jolly is right here. She said, I'm not going to speak. But you know what? You know me. I throw people under the bus. So Jolly actually is the one who like promotes this. And she promotes it for me. She's wearing the shirt that's blessed. And she is. So say hello, Jolly. Say hello, Jolly. Hello, everyone. Yay. (laughs) Yeah, it's a beautiful woman. If you have not seen Jolly, mm, you're married, don't look. Because she's married. She's married. I, I just have a good time with you all. I just have a good time with April and Kenny and Jolly and the family. I got to also mention one thing. Their mom. I love yeah. that mom. And even, even, the, even the husband. You know, Happy birthday. <laughs> happy Belated birthday. happy birthday, Dad. But Brenda Ray, if you need to have your taxes done, she's the DJ girl. Ray. You got to mm-hmm. go check her out. I, I don't even think she has any more space to, to do your taxes, but if you guys need your taxes done, go to BJ Ray Taxes. Yes. Um, she's amazing. But anyways, we met. Remember Urban Fire? Yes. Yeah. I, I, that, that was one thing. That was my first ever half marathon. Oh, my god. Remember when I was skinny? Oh, my gosh. I was going to mention it, but I didn't know if you were sensitive. I, I Yeah. I'm sensitive <laughs> to the fact that I got fat. You're not fat. Yeah, I'm fluffy. No, you just yeah. got a playground. Yeah, it's like the the, the youth at, at at the church. The guys call me Big A. Well, the- I was like, is, is that because I got a big heart? And one kid says, No, because you got fat. You're big. I'm like, Oh, gee, thanks. It's honesty. But you gotta have honesty in these young people. Well, this little kid one time gave me a hug. One baby was like, Miss April, you're fat. <laughs> The other baby said, no, she just has a lot of love in there. That's right. I said, there you go. We are filled with love. That's right. Don't squeeze too hard. It's just coming out. <laughs> so All that wing stuff. Yeah. If you, if you want if you want some love, squeeze someone that's fluffy and all that all that love just oozes out. But we did. We we got together because of Urban Fire. You guys had this initiative that you guys were doing. You're actually reaching out to young people in the inner city. You're reaching out to people be based on your personal life experiences and sharing with them your life experiences so that they did not have to go through and lived what you went through. And I, I thought, well, that was amazing. And I remember, you know, I was looking at just running the, the Long Beach Marathon just to run it. And one of the things that, that, that got me was, well, if I'm going to run a marathon, then it should have a purpose for it. Mm. And you guys gave me that purpose to run so that you guys can do your mission oh. because you guys have that mission. I remember that was the very first marathon shirt that you guys made for me, it was a, a bright 
yellow, neon yellow shirt that had a man running and it said urban fire. Yeah, I still have that shirt. I can't uh-huh. fit in it. But I still have I that have it shirt. Up. <laughs> yeah, it's hung up. So it says urban fire and one day I'm gonna fit in that shirt again. I weighed a I weighed a hundred and sixty pounds of that shirt. Wow. It was a medium. Wow. Yeah. I don't even remember the size, but I know you were tiny. Yeah. You were medium. so small you were unrecognizable. Yeah, they thought I had cancer. <laughs> Especially with the bald head, too. Yeah. Because what right. happened is we knew you before you yeah. went on the weight loss journey. Yeah. But I do have to say, everybody in your office took that weight loss journey with you and lost considerate amounts of weight. We lost, I think, almost 275 pounds together. And so I just want to say that the weight loss itself already had purpose. Mm-hmm. And inspired others, so you were destined to uh, take that further into purpose. Oh, well, thank you very much. So, are you still doing that mission with regards to talking with the young people? And- okay, so we started Urban Fire in 2007, and our hearts were, you know, mainly to go into the high schools. Um, we sat down and talked about me and my husband and talked about the importance of getting not just a motivational speaking as Mm -hmm. we did but transformational speaking to where we don't just come and give a message and leave you hanging but we actually hold your hand and walk you through that i think that uh some of the things that we went through in life if we would have had a mentor or someone a role model that we could actually and i don't i even struggle to say role model just someone to live life appropriately in front of us so mm-hmm. that we can learn. Because I think that all the talking is just a bunch of noise. And I believe that this why this podcast is so important. This connected because, yes, young people and adults are disconnected from each other, you know. Um, and there has to be some type of relatability, which is why it's important for someone to pattern life in front of you. So you can see it. People are tired of being told, show me. Right. That's right. I, I love what you said. What you do is not motivational speaking. Because I see that a lot. I see that a lot in my church. I see that a lot in the community. There's so many people out there giving motivational talks. Motivating you to do what? Motivating you to get up and buy their CD. Motivating you to bu- you know buy their book. Motivating you to attend their next seminar. Motivating you to do what? But you said something that just resonated with me. You don't do motivational speaking transformational speaking and I think in a time that we're having right now where everybody is yelling and everybody is protesting and everybody wants something they want is what you just said and hit the nail on the head transformation what you do is transformational speaking because you just don't give the talk then what you just said when we used to talk is then you walk the walk with them and I think that's more of that. Tell us a little bit more about the things that you've done in the past with regards to transformational speaking with Urban Fire and then what you're pursuing now. Okay, so in the past, we've reached over 11,000 kids. This is just without a network, without social media. This is just two people who got gave a purpose to, to love these kids to life and youth to life one person at a time. It's not always about doing the big show. It's about what you do behind the scenes that lasts. Mm-hmm. And so um, we've been in almost every school in San Bernardino School District. Um, 
we what we would do is we have a uh, a monthly uh, session that we'll call it a session um, for each school. We'd set up either via the classroom where teachers giving their classroom us up for us to take over, or in an assembly type setting, and we would hold these uh, sessions once a month for the entire school year with the purpose of, it starts out with overcoming brokenness, which is a way to identify and just own some of our hurt in the past. Because I think a lot of times we're not successful in life because we're carrying all this pain and we don't have anybody to express it to or to relate with us. So what we do is we carry it and we carry it. So carrying all that weight and trying to be academically sound is too hard. So we kind of give that um, support to say yes life sucks we have been through this let's not do you know necessarily self-medicating let's go ahead and deal with these issues and let's acknowledge them let's take ownership of them let's get to the root of the problem let's help heal it and move forward so we can be greater leaders and so um, by the end we actually did a life plan with them uh, show them how to achieve their life plan and we give them something tangible to mm -hmm. take with them so that they can fulfill those goals and if they ever need support or help they can always call me we give our personal number you can call me I'll walk you through that with your family whatever and we've done that over the years um, we've had some we were going to uh, dissolve it because we had moved to Houston we were going to start out there uh, we chose to come back to Cali and we have since uh, picked back up Urban mm -hmm. Fire our goal now is from a different perspective especially all the schools shut down and things like that what we do is um, we're actually launching a campaign called Ignite Love and in a time of you know unrest I believe it's not the time for us in the faith-based world to shy and Amen. tuck tail in the corner and be afraid with them because the word of God says God I'm not giving you a spirit of fear but power love and a sound mind mm -hmm. so if we tuck tail with everybody then we don't give God an opportunity to shine through us and God is love so we have to first trust him receive his love and then pour it out on his people and I think what a great time to do that now yes. with all of the darkness unjust that's happening in this world today mm -hmm to bring light mm -hmm. so tell me <clears throat> what got you started in even starting urban fire you know what got you to say you know what kenny we got to do this because i remember you and kenny you would go to seacomb park and if you guys have ever been in san Bernardino, you know anything <laughs> about san Bernardino, it's the last place you probably want to be hanging out with your wife and your little babies to go to seacomb park to do what you guys did which was minister to those people who are not being ministered to and, and I remember you and Kenny and Kenny I wish he was here because he would play his music mm -hmm. you know and um, but tell us a little bit about that your, your ministry at Seacomb Park okay so we would do these things called Rock the Hood mm -hmm. and that's just like a impromptu concert in the city and we would just play music face paint bring poetry, whatever it is that, you know, we felt God prompting us to do in the moment. And we just love on the people. I mean, it doesn't matter where you're from, what kind of life you live, because I believe even homeless people, we're only mm -hmm. one thought away from being homeless. Yeah. So I feel like we're even disconnected from them. Yeah. And God's desire is to connect all people, to flow under Him. 
And so we can't do that if we're afraid to touch them and reach them. Yeah, and you actually reached out. You guys went to them. And, you know, Kenny, Kenny invited me one day, and I'm like, ooh, this is like gang members <laughs> driving by giving you the dead eye. And, and, um, and homeless people touching on you. And, and um, I remember asking him, aren't you afraid something's going to happen? And, you know, Kenny raised big old smiles. Nothing's going to happen. <laughs> Nothing's gonna... He has such trust in the Lord mm-hmm. in the mission that he was given. Mm-hmm. And I, I always admire that. Mm-hmm. Now, not everything had been easy for both of you. And no. Tell us a little background about, you know, how you guys, both of you grew up. Okay. Because I think what makes us as a person is our past. Mm-hmm. And we can either allow our past to dictate our future mm-hmm. in a negative way. Or in a way that you chose to allow your past to dictate the direction that you decided to go forward to. And I think that's a great story to tell young people and young women and young men out there who've not had the easiest road. Well, I think that um, pain should fuel purpose. But a lot of time we nurture pain like a baby. And so pain ends up in, uh, consuming us. Mm-hmm. And so we die internally. And so, but if we take that pain and we allow it to fuel it and say, hey, wait a minute, there are a lot of people that went through the same things or that are holding things or that are hurting, you know, how can I, because God did give me grace to get free from the pain that I was feeling, how can I share that? And how can I help be a vessel to get people free? And I can tell you, when I grew up, I grew up in L.A., not South Central, because everybody said I'm from West. South Central LA. No, I'm from West LA. I'm from <laughs> and, North Hollywood. <laughs> and uh, my husband was from uh, Compton, and they moved to Long Beach and grew up in Long Beach. Mm-hmm. And my husband was a gangbanger. Um, I was just your average girl, but my story is very similar to most of the, the girls. And I can say that, you know, because of even my experience in dealing with teens going in the schools and um, even women, you know, um, is I was sexually uh, <clears throat> raped when I was 12 years old. I'm sorry, 14 years old. I met the guy when I was 12. Um, I thought we were friends. We And he was an older gentleman. He was like uh, 22. And um, I would walk to school every day and he would always ask me for a ride. And I would always say no. But it would take me an hour and a half to walk to school every day. And how do you, many of you know that eventually, and people have heard this testimony before, eventually you get tired of walking. And I would walk by myself because I didn't have a lot of friends. Uh, and so I got in the car one day. I thought, man, if he's going to follow me every day, he can't be too bad. <laughs> and for a while he wasn't until he was bad. And after two years, you know, I can recall going to his house to play video games and I seen this look in his eye and he raped me. And no, he did not rape me like he wanted to throw me in the back of a trash can. Cause I think that that's what was my misconception. When I was a little kid, I did not realize what rape was. I didn't realize that there was such a thing called date rape. I didn't know all of that. Um, I just, all, you, all I was instructed was that rape was when someone abducts you, throws you in the alley. You know, and so I didn't know what happened to me. I knew I didn't like it. I knew I was uncomfortable. I knew I said no, and he didn't listen to me, and I felt completely violated. Um, but I didn't know even how to express what happened to me. So I held it quiet 
five months later, you know, um, things were happening in my body and I told my mom what's going on and my mom knew. But my mom not knowing, you know, and from the generation she came in out of, she said, what do you want to do? And I never, we never said rape. That's never came up. She just knew something happened. So she didn't know if I had sex willingly or what. She just knew something happened. So she said, what do you want to do? I said, I just want him to find God, you know, and my mom said, well, that's good. Basically agreeing that I should keep quiet. And so for years, I just went on like life was, you know, life. And I didn't think about it. Um, it wasn't like I was contemplating on it. But I remember when I was about 17 or 18, I was going to San Andreas High School. And I had a teacher there named, is it okay for me to yeah. name him? He's no longer a teacher, but I hope he hears it one day so he can know what an impact he made in my life. Mr. Neumeister, he uh, played a video that depicted almost exactly what I was going through. And I couldn't, and I was in peer counseling. I could not even stomach the video. I ran out the classroom and he ran after me. And I can remember him taking a compassion and empathy, recognizing immediately, okay, something happened there. So he sat down and talked to me and he said, do he want me to get a counselor? And I said, no. And I remember someone showing up and asking me questions. Now, that was the first time that I learned that that was actually right what I experienced. And with learning that I was raped, even though it happened so many years ago, a lot of rage came up to me. Like, why didn't my mom protect me? Why did my dad and them let me hang out with this guy? I mean, they would let me hang out with him. They liked him, he was nice. It wasn't until years later when I was volunteering at uh, Rachel's House of Healing that I realized that about pimps and prostitution and how there's people that are pedophiles and there are people that are predators that groom you. And I believe that's exactly what was taking place. This man was grooming me. And um, uh, how I was able to get free from that situation is uh, he would show up at my house, tell me to get in the car. My family would say, you better go with him. He's waiting. I would tell him, go across. The I said, go. I said, you better leave or I'm going to call the police. And he would say, call the police. I'm not on your property because he would actually go across the street. Well, after so much of that, you know, I did notice that he was do doing the same thing with the girl around the corner. Mm -hmm. And although I wanted to rescue her, I didn't know how. And I was actually honestly just glad he left me alone. And so uh, I did not see him again, but that lasted four years. And um, as I catapult forward, um, that's one situation that took place caused a lot of problems, I don't know if I could say it, but uh, problems sexually as far as even knowing what's healthy, what's not healthy. You know, I was afraid to say no to people because um, I didn't want them to take things from me, so I'd rather give it than take it. I was scared to uh, rat anyone out because I didn't want anybody to hurt me. I just lived in fear, and that fear just fueled pain, and I remember uh, before I met my husband, I went through a lot of obviously tumultuous relationships because I'm already not healthy. And the person, of course, when a person is broken, usually you go for broken people. So two broken people in a relationship does not make a whole. It just makes a lot of mess. 
And so uh, I remember, because I always love God, I remember asking him, I know there's something more to this than just going to church and then living life and messing up life and then going to church. And uh, I remember, I, it wasn't audible, you know, but in my heart, it's like I, it's like I heard God saying like, you don't trust me. And I'm like, yes, I do. And I remember him saying, no, because you view me like you view your dad. So it made me think like, hmm, do I? And I think about my dad for a minute. My dad did the best he could. What he had, I have no animosity. I love my dad. My dad, you know, went through some things and, you know, without getting into too much, ended up retreating and separating from my mom. And my dad didn't fight fight for us either. So I think that when people don't fight for their kids, not even it's not even intentional. They do the best that they know how. They don't even know their how to or what they're supposed to do or that they need to fight. But when we don't take an active role and intentionally just care about our kids, our kids are trying to figure life out. And so we grow up from thinking that we're adults because we're trying to figure it out ourselves. So we lose respect for those adults that are supposed to take care of us. And so then the adults call the kids rebellious. The kids are not rebellious, they're crying out because they're looking for love. And a lot of the families are not there. Maybe they're working, maybe they're smoked out, maybe they, they, they're just in a position of, maybe they're in foster care. They're just not in a position to be healthy adults around them that can live life healthy in front of them. And so it causes a, a teenager to grow up with anger and hurt and pain because they didn't, one, ask to be here. Two, they don't know how to navigate life. They haven't been taught coping skills. Most of the time when we're young, you know, our parents are like, you can do whatever you want. So at five years old, you look at all the kids and they're so excited. Like, I'm going to be president. I'm going to be, you know. And then as they hit their teens and life starts hitting them, you know, nobody told them at 11 and 12, some, like me, predator is going to take advantage of them. So now what do I do with that? So I'm always thinking about that. And as I get older, it just, it doesn't go away, you know? It, it takes form in different areas of your life. So by the time I actually looked at myself and said, wow, God, I don't trust you because I don't even know you. And I'm comparing you to what everybody says, oh, God is your dad. And the only dad figure I have is the one in my house. And I'm not necessarily happy with that. So, yeah, you feel a sense of, uh, I don't know, like you're all by yourself, lonely, severe lonely, like nobody cares, like, man, was I just brought here to be abused? Abandoned. Abandoned. So we deal with all these issues, and then, and then instead of anybody taking ownership for some of the pain that I was caused, it's like, oh, does she, is she, does she need help? Is she mentally ill? Is there issues? And no, I'm not mentally ill. No, I don't have a problem. No, my problem is I grew up, had some pain that was undealt with. And I, I thank God for his grace for me and to allow me to even listen to him. Because once I listened and said, oh man, this is happening. Okay, that is true. 
Then I could say, God, help me get to know you. And then I put all my passion into learning about him, reading the word, asking God to help me understand it, because I don't understand the Bible. It's all thee, thou, it, how, I, I, I didn't know what that meant. But then someone gave me the message Bible, which was like poetry. And I love poetry because that's how I used to express my pain. So I could understand it. And I started reading this poetic, beautiful words coming off of the of the page and there was a there's a scripture in Ezekiel 16 4 through 14 and it talks about when you were born you were thrown in a field abandoned alone you know and he walks by and he sees you and he speaks life into you even though you're covered in blood and I don't want to get deep but blood is unrighteousness and it's not your fault but you're just there and, the, and I remember resonating with that scripture like oh my god that's me you know and then I remember it said that he walked by and he spoke life. He didn't see my blood and my dirtiness. He just spoke life. And I grew, even connected to all the stuff that I had been thrown out there connected to. And then he came by again. He said, now you're ready for love. Mm -hmm. And then he said, I took his coat out and he put it around you. you know, and I encourage you to read the scripture, especially in the message. Because like I said, it's a beautiful, like poetic love story of how God views us and I'm talking from a woman's perspective you know because women when women don't have the love of their mother she loves you but doesn't know how to really like be intimately love love you and then she doesn't have the love of her father you know I can only tell you from my perspective as a woman I'm craving love so now I'm reading this and God is saying I love you and then he, 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 he says he comes and he washes all of that blood off, which to me is like he just cleans me of all my unrighteousness, like no matter what I did. And I couldn't believe that somebody who knew everything that I've done could love me like that. And so I wanted that so bad. I believed it with all my heart. And when I did that, it just fueled a desire in me to just show other girls how... How much God loves them and 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 how this other love that we're chasing is temporary and harmful and now if we just focus in on the one who created us and who loved us all of those voids on the inside would be filled and now the love that we look forward outwardly is just overflowing extra but we're full on the inside from the one who created us so we don't have all those deep temporary needs we're not to pop pills or not to you know have sex all the time because I think that that's what he wants and I think that's the only way I'm gonna get intimacy you know and so you know I just I believe for me that's how um, my desire resonated with my husband when he wanted to start mm -hmm. Urban Fire now for him he was gangster and he grew up like man in a good home that did not teach him in that but because he was picked on, he got tired of being picked on, and so he's like, I need to be a part of something that's gonna protect him. So you see, female and male are still looking for protection. Yeah. And so looking for belonging and love, identity. And so if you do not find an identity from your maker, someone else will give you one. And uh, you have to say, who do I really want to identify with? And I think that as Kenny found God and God began to show him what he had for him and and what purpose he had like man 
all those feelings that you felt, all the, all those things that you endured. I need you to love these young men and 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 show them what it is in your imperfectness. In your, my husband still has a hood swag. In your hood swag, you know what I mean. <laughs> People look at him and like, oh my god. And then he like that beautiful smile. They're like, oh okay. He'll, he'll throw yeah. that smile. And it's like, oh, he's just, <laughs> he's it's just petty, a storm. Yeah. <laughs> now both of you, you know, grew up in, in, in different environments. You had it rough. You had it tough. I know Kenny's parents. Um, you know, he grew up in a really good home. A very loving home mm-hmm. and 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 your journey towards where you ended up two totally different paths um, and it's hard it's hard to listen to your story it's hard to listen to your testimony without without shedding tears mm-hmm. now how it, it's gonna be another session to hear your journey to get to where you're at mm-hmm. and we're gonna talk about that probably another podcast yeah. But how did you and Kenny meet? Church. Church? So, God forbid, God brings you back together <laughs> in a church. Well, we actually were going to the same church for nine years. I've been there since I was 14. He'd been there, I, I don't remember how old he was. Uh, his parents were serving there. They still serve there. My mom was a minister there. Mm-hmm. Um, and after I was going through my journey of freedom and, and, and wholeness, uh, Kenny would drive the van and he would come pick me up. And that is how we eventually cro- crossed paths to where, you know, there was interest. Mm. Now, it wasn't just like, oh, two, two, two stars men and collided in an explosion and all of a sudden urban fire started. No, it, it wasn't that smooth, was it? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm still seeing clouds. No, I'm just like, um, you know... I come from a fire, some fiery women that like, you know, don't take nothing from no man and you know, mm-hmm. they're a little fiery. I'm glad you said that because <laughs> the title of our podcast is Real Talk. From who? From a woman's perspective. From a woman's perspective. <laughs> so I also grew up with five sisters and a mom. My dad died very young. Oh, so I grew sorry. up with very powerful women. And sometimes, you know, you, you 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 listen to my sisters, and it's like all of us guys would just would just be quiet because they're speaking. <laughs> um, but tell us about that perspective. You you ended up meeting Kenny Ray. You obviously fell in love. You got married, and what I really wanted to talk to you about is how is that marriage? And I see you. I, I see how you treat him. And I see how you two are together. And I can see how some people, some young women out there would say, I'd never be that kind of woman that April Ray is. I mean, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I said I wouldn't be that woman either. Because like I said, I grew up with women that are like not su- submissive. They're like, ain't nobody going to tell me nothing. I'm tired of these men. And, and it comes from a place of bitterness for how men have treated women. So I'm not taking away that either, because and, I and I want to interrupt you, because sometimes that word in of itself triggers people submissive, <laughs> and I think <laughs> people misinterpret that word submissive as in you know someone gets kicked around, right, or a and, doormat, no, or a doormat. No, no, tell me what is 
how you see what that word means to you, submissive. Okay, well, I believe that God has shown me, and even if you go to the Webster's Dictionary or any dictionary, submissive really means compromise. That is the translation, is compromise. So it takes it from an assertive position to where submissive, like from a male's position, you need to submit to me. Like, and so the woman's like, what? So we misunderstand it. But submission really means compromise. And so even in the word, it talks about submitting one to another. Just further um, giving that point of meaning compromise. I, I believe in the order that is I have read in the Bible that says that the man is the head, as Christ is the head of the church. And so what that just means is I respect my husband's choices. And so I still give my opinion. And there's a lot of opinion there. Yeah, it is. You hear me talking. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard you guys talking. Yeah, so uh, it's opinion. I still give my, um, my views. And, but ultimately, I trust my husband that God is leading him. So if I go against what my husband says, I have a personal conviction. Everybody might not agree with that. I have a personal conviction that I'm going against what God says. Now the word says, be submissive to your own husband as it is fitting unto the Lord. So don't get me wrong, ladies. If my husband starts going off in the wrong direction and he wants me to go do something that's not fitting unto the Lord, April Ray will not submit. Mm. But I will submit when it lines up to what my Heavenly Father is saying because my husband, we took vows, vowed to listen to him. So he's under submission as well. And so I think that for me, if I cannot submit to any of my leaders on earth, how can I ever submit to the one in heaven? So for me, it's just a matter of respecting my husband. First of all, respecting God, then respecting my husband and allowing him to be a man. I feel like when we don't respect our husbands, we don't allow, even when we know it's a mistake, how, we're not our man, husband's teacher, God is. Mm -hmm. So we have to allow room for a little mistakes. Just like God allows room for our mistakes. I mean, I, I remember growing, you know, getting married young and, you know, not knowing what it means to be a wife. You know, I'm used to doing me, you know. And I remember going to work and um, I worked uh, graphic design and so I didn't have like a set schedule. I go in and when I get the job completed, I come home. I'm not used to having to check in and all of that. And I remember my husband was like calling me. I'm ignoring his call because I'm trying to finish this work. And, when I got home, he was literally like almost in tears because he's like, I don't know something happened to you. Don't worry. And so I wasn't used to having that kind of concern and worry. So I had to learn, oh, wait a minute. There's somebody else in this household that I have to respond to and, and, and cherish and respect. And so um, I don't want an effeminate leader which that word effeminate would be I, a soft. I don't want some a man that's gonna, and men, please don't be offended. You know, I love y'all. But I don't want someone that's gonna disassociate and be at home, you know, playing video games all day or, you know, you know, 
spending time in the garage and doesn't want to be in there with his family because I don't respect him. I want him to look forward to coming home and spending time with his family. And it's difficult for a man who's trying to go out there and make money for his family and have the world against him. He doesn't want to come home and have his wife against him too. So I believe that God has shown me that. And so I do my best. I'm not perfect. Mm -hmm. And I still have arguments with my husband. And I still, so it's not like Brady Bunch over here. But it's a real life love example of submitting one to each other and me allowing him to lead my husband so that he could value me. Because when I respect him, there's a natural value that comes. He naturally exalts me. He naturally is like, this is my wife. He naturally wants to make me shine because I make him well, What do you say to someone who says, you know, I don't need somebody else to value me. I value myself. I agree with that. You do need to value yourself. But then you also don't need to be in a relationship. Because a relationship has to be mutual value. So if you're so busy valuing yourself in a relationship, who's valuing the other person? So in my opinion, my job is to, yes, I value myself, yes. But my, a lot of my time is valuing the people in my home, my husband, mm -hmm. my kids. And as I value them, they naturally value me. Yeah. And so it becomes this beautiful marriage. Amen. Now, you, you mentioned something that just, just came out, stuck out. You said, you do this allowing the husband to be a man. To be a man. Now, what does that mean? Um, where, where does that come from that that you want men to be men and not effeminate men well is, is it something are you seeing something with regards to our culture nowadays that men aren't being men and what is what is the definition of being a man so for me being a man has nothing to do with outside appearances or does that mean I'm more sensitive? It doesn't have anything to do with that. What that means is being comfortable in his leadership. That's what being a man is to me. Being comfortable in his leadership. It hurts my feelings when I see men that don't have confidence in being a man. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is like always having to be around women, asking women what to do. You know, and unfortunately, and I know I'm going to get a lot of haters on this one, and that's okay. I respect your opinion, and I hope you respect me. Because feminism is great. I believe in women, or anybody who knows me. I still have, a, have a, a group called Coffee with the Girls. Anybody who knows me knows that I'm all about women and walking in purpose. Okay, so I don't believe that, oh... Oh, she's one of those women that just believes she's supposed to just bow to her husband and make him feel good all day. And even though God has put purpose in her. No, I'm a very purposeful woman. And I believe that uh, God has placed something in you to walk alongside your husband, but also not to be on top of your husband either. And I think that sometimes because we're tired, because we've endured so much, because we have had, you know, injustice as women, we have been looked at as not you know, worth anything, that we're just supposed to have our legs open and barefoot and cook, 
I, I, I definitely agree that that is not our position. But on the same token, we would be foolish to say we don't need our husbands or men to lead us. That's how we were created. Mm -hmm. So we need leadership and we complement leadership. So when my husband says, April, let's do this. What do you think about this? And I pray about it and I'm like, okay, well. And when I'm praying, I'm like, okay, Lord, is this you? How do we get this done? What do you want me to do to help him? And so when God starts downloading strategy, it just makes everything better. <laughs> and now when I'm following in and he feels like, he's like, okay. He's like, wow, we're running. And guess what? It's pushing him into purpose. I know a lot of women who complain that their husbands don't have no purpose in life. They just want to come home, watch TV, don't want to do anything. Well, ladies, that's how you do it. Ask him his dreams, his goals. What were things that he liked when he was younger? So you can stir that up and help push him into purpose because he's going to take you into purpose. And this is how we help gauge our relationships to be fulfilling and and not uh, complacent. I think um, it's a it's a movie called uh, the, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Oh yeah. And there's a part in there. Me and my husband teases a lot. You know, he goes, "I'm the head," and the wife goes, "I'm the neck that turns the head." Well, that's true, <laughs> ladies. We don't do that through manipulation. We do that through walking in who we are as women naturally. But we can't do that when we're so broken and hurt. If we're bitter, that bitterness is going to spill over even into our kids. So we have to be honest with ourselves. Am I bitter with life? Is there some jacked up things that have happened and how can I get through that so that I can be a better spouse, yeah. a better mommy, a better wife, a better business owner, a better uh, uh, teacher, you know? Um, and I think that that's crucial is, um, like I said, I don't want it to be about like, Oh, she thinks I'm not a man because even sexual preference, I'm not talking mm -hmm. about that. I'm just talking about confidence in your leadership. It's complementary um, unity yes. right there. My mom, my mom has always said that um, behind every successful man is a strong woman. Come on. Now, there's, you know, I'm Filipino and there's a Filipino thing that, that um, kind of visual thing. My mom has always explained to us that a house has four walls and pillars, mm -hmm. doors, windows, everything inside. That's the woman. That's the mother. Mm -hmm. And I used to ask her, well, where's the father? He's the roof. Mm. He provides protection. That's good. And says, but a roof can't be a roof without everything else. Come and on. a house can't be a house in the, with the walls, the windows, and everything without a roof. That's good. Um, you can survive with just that, but you're always going to get wet. So it's going to be hot in there. Uh, so my mom has always tried to make it a visual. You know, my mom was an uneducated woman. And we seem to 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 um, look at that as a success of, of a woman is education. And that's great. I always encourage my daughters. I have two daughters. To, to attain that education. Education is the key out of poverty. But that doesn't um, take away what God calls you to be, to um, to love, mm -hmm. to serve. Um, so I, I am like looking at these wings from Wingstop. <laughs> just looking at <laughs> you me. You better dig in. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to dig in pretty soon. But 
right now, um, as we segue, and I, I talk about Wingstop again because I'm looking at these wings and you haven't eaten a fry. <laughs> um, but with a situation that we find ourselves in now, with the protest and the killing of George Floyd, he is a father, he's a husband. We're not judging what kind of father he was, what kind of husband he was, but he was a father, he was a husband. You know, you have a husband who works three jobs to, to provide for you. And, and I, I, you shared, you know, you worry that, that that can happen. You know, Kenny still has his swag when he walks. And, and when someone speaks to him, he has that swag and people prejudge. You know, what, what is your take with regards to the protest, with regards to George Floyd, with regards to how people are behaving, how people are reacting as a wife? As a woman, as a mother, share with us and share with our listeners, those young people, mm-hmm. and even the other women and the other mothers who listen to this podcast, what's your take with regards to what's going on in our society? Okay, so from my perspective, it's a little different because I'm mixed with a lot of things. You are mixed. <laughs> I'm mixed with a lot of things, um, you know, black, white, Filipino, Hawaiian, um, most people who look at me think I'm Hispanic, so I've gotten even the uh, <laughs> racially chastised for not knowing Spanish when I'm not even Hispanic. Um, and it doesn't bother me, any of that. I know who I am, my identity. I, I have learned like to love all my culture, but the reason why it's important to note here in particular is that I have history and my ancestors on both sides of the fence white and black so I have masters and slaves right Mm -hmm. well how does that play a part in my life my husband is African American we just say black my husband's Mm -hmm. a black man my kids I have some that are light I have one that is dark and so yes these issues hit our home because you know before you know growing up I never had to deal with like white on black racism because nobody can tell what I am. Most people are like, what are you? You know, I'm like, I'm human. So um, I never dealt with that when cops stopped me. I never had an issue. Well, I did have one, but it was because of who I was with. I was with uh, some, some two black uh, teenagers when I was a teenager and we had an issue. And I just thought, oh, these are just mean cops that one time. Mm-hmm. But as I got older and I got married, my husband would always be a little bit nervous when a cop got behind mm-hmm. us. And I'd be like, babe, and he's like, babe, I promise you it's it's the truth. I'm like, no, it's not, you know? And I used to work uh, in the police department, so not as a police officer, so I've never really seen that bias mm-hmm. from a personal perspective. But. There was one time my husband and I were driving and our car was having trouble and we were on uh, Kindle in San Bernardino and um, we were just trying to make it home. And we were driving slow. Apparently there's a slow and fast lane on the street that I wasn't aware of. So we got pulled over and there's a man 
a white cop on on my side, which was the passenger side. My husband had his uniform from work, yes, Patton mm-hmm. State Hospital, and my the woman who's a white cop is on the left side approaching him. As I look to the right side to see the cop standing next to me, he tells me, "Don't look at me, look at her." That already signaled to me something's not right. Because if this was a legitimate stop, you, you there'd be no reason for you not for me not to see your badge. Mm-hmm. Because I'm always looking at who I'm dealing with. Okay. So then we look at her, and the first thing she asks, "Do you have weapons in the car?" Like, what does what? Yeah. If this is just a legitimate traffic stop, just ask me for my ID and registration. Why are you asking me about weapons? My husband giggles. He said, no, ma'am, I don't have any weapons in the car. He looks at me like, see? And so I'm watching this transpire. She goes, I, he goes, do you ask everybody that? She goes, I asked even the firemen I pull over. And we're like, okay. So I ask her, they tell us they pull us over for driving slow in the fast lane on the street. I said, is that illegal? And if so, give me the penal code. Mm-hmm. That way I can look it up. Because I'm a firm believer that there's a way you handle things. And when you're in a hostile situation, you don't necessarily have to be hostile back because things can go wrong, especially when you don't have the power. But I do believe that there's something I can do after the fact. And so she goes, no, it's not illegal. I'm like, then why did you pull us over? So she lets us go. And I think the main thing that really irritated me, it was a hot summer day is that we told her that our car was not working. And after she reveals that she pulled us over for no reason to racially profile us, that and realized that once she ran his his name that he was clean and he didn't have a warrant that she hoped for, uh, they left us on the side of the road. Our car would not start. Mm-hmm. My husband and I had to push our blazer and I had I had heels on my husband. And they didn't call us a tow truck. They didn't help us. And so I was severely offended. I went home. I did call her chief. I did ask, what is the protocol? Is this how you're training your employees? And at first he was defensive. But when I told him I'm not trying to get him in trouble, I'm just trying to alert you. I didn't know if this is your practice or are they rogue? And so, because I didn't want to judge them either, the police Mm -hmm. department as a whole. And so eventually he just shared with me, they were out of line because they were not even in their jurisdiction. They're university cops. Yeah. So they should never have pulled us over in the first place. So that was my experience with that. Uh, and, and yeah. It's, and you were livid. Yeah, it made me, yeah. And Kenny Ray probably just laughing it off. He's laughing. Because why? Because he's lived he's that lived life. lived this and he's like, been telling me. Babe, this has happened my whole life. I'm like, no, it hasn't, you know, and, and, and it has. And so, you know, like I said, I have a brown daughter, and my light-skinned girls, when you look at them, you're like, oh, those are black kids, okay? And so, um, yeah, it bothers me because I have to teach my kids, you know, to be extra polite, yeah. to be extra. And it's funny because I understand when you look at, because people try to make this about blacks versus cops or blacks versus whites, and really that's not the issue. The issue is humanity treating humanity Mm -hmm. 
just with dignity and the way God would desire us to. How did you come to terms with that? Well, because I've also been pulled over with my husband just recently, where these cops were very gracious and and reacted with respect and honor and, and very gracious. And they had the right to react inappropriately, and they didn't. And they, we laughed it off. We were all, you know, without getting to the story. But um, so it's not everybody grouped together. It's just that black people as a whole has had to deal with uh, slavery, which is 400 years. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're not that far from, you know, just being integrated, just being able to allow to vote, just mm-hmm. getting rights. And so here we are trying to make progress. And then we're seeing people get massacred. And I have to say massacred because mm-hmm. I think that people who have power abuse their power when they have bad integrity. And that comes and, and unfortunately the light is shining on cops right mm-hmm. now. Because nobody can turn around and say that cops have not been abusing their power. Mm -hmm. They have, you know, and so not all cops. Again, this is not, these are for the ones that have participated in things that they went home and cried about later. Mm -hmm. And I remember being pulled over as a teenager and I had, I was a little dancer. I had my hair corn rolled and braids and had baggy pants on. And I remember the, the the cop who pulled us over was very mean, but the partner was just a scared little puppy. And I remember they were like, can you get out the car? And I remember the mean cop telling me, get out the car, sir. And I said, I told you I'm a woman. He said, you can't tell. I said, mm-hmm. well, until you know otherwise, you address me what I asked you to. And so I remember the little cop coming next, not little, I'm sorry. <laughs> the cop, <laughs> the partner coming to me and saying, just get out the car and he'll leave you alone. So that let me know. He's been on several. He knows. He knows, but they have like a no snitch rule, mm-hmm. just like the just prison. Just like, like everybody else. No snitch. So you know your partner's doing stuff. You go home and cry about it or tell your wife about it or whatever you do, drink it away. Mm-hmm. But you're dealing with that. But you're not snitching on them because of the code. Well, this code is killing all of you guys, just like the code of the streets is killing us. And I think that when trauma is not dealt with, it festers until there's an explosion. Because people dem- people want freedom, yep. however they have to get it. What would I you don't say, agree with the looting. Yeah. What would you say we need to do to move forward from here? Well, I think you're a little bit ahead of the game connecting understanding people are afraid what they don't understand if you think about it you know because racism is on the cuff of we use the word to justify racism too Mm -hmm. we're looking like yeah well dark and light you're dark so no that's not it's not the truth of the word dark does not mean the color of my skin Mm -hmm. light does not mean the color of your skin the darkness is is the spiritual presence the undertone it's how we treat people is what we're what we are uh, reflecting in our everyday life so I think that like this podcast giving an honest conversation mm-hmm. you know I think so Tom like we we become sometimes we become Christians emotionally just to kind of you know pacify us and make us feel like we're doing something 
We want you to be active, purposeful Christians that are full of life and not just reading the word, but living the word. And that people can see that word and want to follow because they see good Amen. coming out of you. And when you see people the same, mm -hmm. no matter cop, no matter uh, civilian, no matter white, black, just living, loving people, learning to understand each other's perspective, you don't have to agree. Yep. But if you understand, you can empathize. So what can we expect from, from April Ray and Kenny Ray moving forward? So you can expect us, of course, we're always full of purpose, so we'll be <laughs> we'll be uh, pretty soon starting. Uh, we're going to be doing some marriage conversations. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to be doing some, of course. Uh, I'll probably be starting my woman's coffee with the girls up again. Um, and um, I know uh, my husband is working on something right now that he's going to put out pretty soon. So stay tuned. Hopefully, we can premiere that on yes. this podcast. But but April. Thank you for coming on this podcast. There is so much more connection we can have in this in this discussion. There's just not enough time. No, there isn't. And and the reason why I invited you on is is because you have something to say. Everybody has something to say. But as you said earlier, you have something to say that is transformational. Mm -hmm. Not just motivational, but transformational. And hopefully the words that you said today transforms many lives of people who are listening you know one of the things that that we strive to say with regards to this podcast is people need to listen mm -hmm. people need to listen and it's not about just yelling no it's not about just just voicing out your concerns but acting on that yes. and what can we do now that we've posted these things now that we've we we we've, we've said our frustrations, our anger. What do we do now? And that is where transformation begins. That's right. The dialogue, the talking, but don't leave it at the talking, the action. That's right. See, judge, act on it. Yeah. And that's where I really love what you and Kenny Ray are doing is because after working, after taking care of the kids, you two come together and says, how are we going to transform God's kingdom? That's right. How are we going to transform God's kingdom? Not for my benefit, no. not for your benefit, but for the benefit of humanity. You know, that is what I love with regards to what you guys are doing. You guys are my favorite people. Those are oh, your favorite people, are so, so I want to thank you for joining us in this podcast. Thank yeah, you I want to. We're, we're going to have Kenny Ray soon yes. as a part two with this podcast, Real Talk, Real yeah. Men from a Men's Perspective. Yes. And so, again, thank you for um, joining us in this episode. Um, for you listeners, please don't forget to rate and subscribe to This Connected on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other podcast platform. If you like this podcast, email us your comments or any questions that you may have for April Ray or anything we discussed in our previous podcast to catholic.dad50 at gmail.com. Or you can follow us or send us a DM on our Instagram at catholic.dad. That's me, at catholic.dad. You can also support this podcast by, you know, just sending any donations to any of the 
the places that that we support. I'll, uh, actually, all I ask you is if there is a youth group or a youth organization that you know of, send them some dime. Uh -huh. You know, send us send them some cash and say this is from this connected okay. and support the young people um so we end usually this podcast by this message for everyone who's listening out there to please remember to live a life of holiness we'll be praying for you please pray for us and most importantly be blessed and be third good night april This is one of those things that we always do at the very end, because I always forget. Hey, April, how can people find you? Okay, you can find us on Facebook, Urban Fire. Just look up Urban Fire Movement. Uh, we also have a t-shirt business called Ignite Design Company. Mm -hmm. You can access that. Every t-shirt that you buy, we give 20% to Urban Fire so that we can fund what we do. Um, but again, I think Arnell says it's best. Find a youth group, men's group, women's group that you know is taking active to love people to life and you donate to them and serve them. Amen. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you. God bless you. This Connected Podcast is brought to you by The Cabin. Want to get away and get some peace and quiet and rest? Yes, rest, but not too far away from home or the city? Want to experience a true log cabin feel in the mountains? Well, I have the recommendation for you. The Cabin is a two-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath that will do just that. With a beautiful wood fireplace lit and a glass of wine, you are sure to relax. With easy access from the main highway, private parking, easy access with stairs to the entrance, fast Wi-Fi, a full-size kitchen, and all the essential amenities will make your stay a memorable experience. This cozy log cabin was built in the early 60s with its original wood fireplace and a newly transformed deck with beautiful views of the San Bernardino Mountains. So, book your stay at the cabin in Running Springs, California. The cabin, located in the San Bernardino Mountains, is a beautiful place to see the beauty of God's creation. I have known the proprietor of the cabin for many years. She has always supported the youth and young adult ministries of her community, as well as this podcast. Check out The Cabin on Instagram at thecabin2021. Again, that's at thecabin2021, T-H-E-C-A-B-I-N 2021.